both parties know that if they both spoke honestly all the time, that it would be problematic. Boy, it hurt, might be. You hurt be. their feelings. Honey, right. you look fat in that outfit. You, right, how often right, would right. you say that to your wife? Right. Never. <laughs> that hairdo sucks. <laughs> you, you just don't do that kind of thing. Right. If you value your relationship because right. you value their feelings. So I guess you call those little white lies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When you don't tell the whole truth. Well, that's why it's important to differentiate mm-hmm. you know, the level of seriousness or the impact of the consequence of. Yeah. Oh, You're listening to the Sill Podcast, perspectives on art and technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 72, Hook, Line, and Sinker, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Smiling faces Sometimes they don't tell the truth Smiling faces, smiling faces Tell lies and I got proof There once was a shepherd boy who was bored as he sat on the hillside watching the village sheep. To amuse himself, he took a great breath and sang out, Wolf! Wolf! The wolf is chasing the sheep! The villagers came running up the hill to help the boy drive the wolf away. But when they arrived at the top of the hill, they found no wolf. The boy laughed at the sight of their angry faces. They went up the hill to find the boy. They found him weeping. There really was a wolf here. The flock has scattered. I cried out, Wolf, why didn't you come? An old man tried to comfort the boy as they walked back to the village. We'll help you look for the lost sheep in the morning, he said, putting his arm around the youth. Nobody believes a liar even when he is telling the truth. That's an excerpt from... The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Exactamundo. And the moral of the story is... Well, if you lie, people won't believe when you tell the truth. Exactly. So that's what this podcast is about today. It's about truth, lies, what we believe, why we believe what we believe, how do we know what we know. Mm. It's a big one. It's a big Mm. question, close to my heart, actually. It's a kind of a question that I grappled with on and off for decades. Ah, okay. Because we are these minds and these hearts, and we live these lives, and we think we know certain things about the world, about life. But really, in the end, all we know is ourselves, in a way. Mm-hmm. And what's been passed down to us? Well, what's been passed down to us is secondhand. Mm-hmm. But firsthand, all okay. we know is what is inside us, right. what's right here. Everything else is maybe true, maybe somewhat maybe true, maybe yeah. not true at all. Mm-hmm. How do we know what is true and what is not true? Well, the first yeah. thing I think about when you say that is to acknowledge that none of us knows everything, for starters. Okay. That's saying it's amazing how much you have to know to realize how little you know. That's very humble of you. And religions would have it that God mm. knows all, omnipotent, knows all. And we're just these beings who should be afraid of this God. But that's one concept I could never get my head around. 
one God knows everything, every moment, every second. But it's comforting, isn't it, to think that there's somewhere, something, someone, some being actually knows the truth about the universe and everything in it and who we are, etc. And we seem to flail around trying to figure out who are we, where are we. I suppose that's true, but the reason why that never made sense to me or why I could never wrap my head around the being that knows everything all the time, everything before it happens even. Yeah. Is that I used to say to myself as a young kid, what do I need a confessional for? What do I need a priest for if this powerful being knows everything already? He knows what I've committed, what I'm going Mm -hmm. to commit. Mm -hmm. Why do I need a third party intermediary to resolve my problems? I'll just connect with him directly. That's a good point. Would that we all had that attitude, Mm. but we don't. We are actually born into a world and a worldview that Mm. is given to us inside our culture and through our education. Mm-hmm. Parents. Through our parentage. And it takes a long time for us to find our individual spirit and our sense of adventure and questioning of the values that are present around us. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. And some people never actually get to that questioning. They just live their lives by habit. Especially if you are overly concerned with the opinion of others and fitting in. Yeah. Which is a major preoccupation with most people. Even moderately concerned with fitting in or being liked will Mm -hmm. change how open you are to other people's ideas Mm -hmm. and how accepting you are. That's not to say that you shouldn't try to fit in or shouldn't be social or doing things for the sole purpose of not fitting in. I'm not suggesting that. But if you are tied to that, you're really limiting the possibilities and you're limiting what you allow into your life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even re-examining yourself or your values, very difficult to do if your primary concern is either pleasing or adhering to the ideas and values of others. Right. So unless you become a maverick and strike out on your own, you're going to be carrying certain worldviews and attitudes that have been given to you second or third or fourth hand. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Let's go back to the boy who cried wolf, because I think this is interesting. Mm-hmm. This is a fable. Yeah. It's a work of fiction. And as artists, as writers, our job is to point at what is true or real in the world, but from the imagination. Mm-hmm. So we create something that is essentially a deception, a falsehood. Right. This never happened, but we allow ourselves to believe it as we read it. And so we get the point of it at the end, and we get the point of it as being something that is real in the world we live in. Well, that's what Aesop's purpose was. That's what the purpose of fables is, is to teach, or at least to create some sense of morality. Yeah. But what happens when you face into a world, which we are doing now, Mm -hmm. where all kinds of information is coming at us, which might as well be a fable, It's fiction, but it's disguised as truth. Mm -hmm. So the internet is full of that stuff. Well, you're talking about the boy who cried wolf. Right now, I think we have a situation that's very analogous to that. Which is? South of the border. We've got a president who, at least it is said that he lies frequently. And Mm -hmm. we have that exact same situation. If and when he does tell the truth, who's going to believe it? Yeah, right. He is the boy who cried wolf. Yeah. When he says things like, we're going to build a wall, I believe him Mm -hmm. that he wants to do that. Mm -hmm. So there's no lying there, really. But 
anything else he says is mostly fictionalized, and he plays with statistics and facts fast and loose. And he's been corrected so many times that it's enough to make your head spin, but he doesn't seem to care. It doesn't seem to matter too much. Mm -hmm. Because in the world of propaganda, which is his world, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how true or false it is. It just matters how often you say it and with what force, with what panache, Mm -hmm. and people or a certain percentage of people will automatically believe it, Mm -hmm. provided they trust you as a source. Exactly. So this comes down to trust. Right. And there are people that do trust him. Yeah. Oh, sure. As any leader. For whatever the reasons, the question is why? Yeah. On what basis? The thing about it, though, is that we've come to expect our politicians to be liars. Mm -hmm. In that respect, when he lies, we go, okay, par for the course. We don't hold his feet to the fire because we've already lost Mm -hmm. our idealism around politics and politicians, which is sad. For those politicians who are credible and who do care, unfortunately, they get often put under the same umbrella, and it's not fair to those particular politicians or people. Yeah. As you and I both know and we've discussed, we all lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a matter of degree mm-hmm. and what it pertains to. Yeah. And we lie for a lot of different reasons. Apparently, in the first 10 minutes of meeting a stranger, there are a minimum of three lies exchanged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and apparently we lie a lot more to strangers than we do to friends and family. That's, yes, we do. And that we experience from about 10 to 200 lies per day, mm-hmm. depending. So the question is why? Why are we in a culture of lying? Right? Well, a lot of it goes back down to individuals themselves in terms of how we see ourselves and what we aspire to. Frequently, we lie to ourselves because we aspire to something which we can't achieve or are not achieving. And we start to fabricate. Give me an example of that. So, for example, you see yourself as a secret agent or you envision yourself in a certain way that may not be exactly what is, but you envision that. Okay. So you adopt personality traits or behavior that reflect that. A secret agent is going to be very cool under pressure. A secret agent isn't going to show a lot of emotion. He's going to act quickly when it's required. All these kinds of things. And depending on your own mental state, emotional state, and there's entire departments of psychology and psychiatry to deal with these things in order either to make yourself feel better or to fit better in in the circles that you travel, whatever it is, you create these lies to give yourself a level of comfort. Well, also because uh, telling the truth about oneself or being authentic, as they say, mm-hmm. means that one is vulnerable because we are fallible beings right. and we make mistakes. And few of us are strong enough to admit to all of our mistakes and our errors of judgment and our foolishness. Mm-hmm. So we lie to ourselves in that way. We don't express ourselves in that way. Mm-hmm. And once you begin that, or you travel that road, it becomes very difficult to backtrack because now you've got to keep lying to support the original lie. Especially within relationships mm-hmm. that matter to us. Yes. There are these white lies, there's these gray lies, and there are outright lies that we share purportedly to protect the other when really it's to protect ourselves primarily, usually. Usually, you know? although in many cases it's a combination of both in varying degrees, but yes, you're yeah. right. Yeah, so lying for protection in one way or the other. There's also lying to remain in power mm-hmm. so that the population at large gets an impression of you and what you're doing such that they won't get agitated and want to throw you out of office. 
chaos would result if the mm -hmm. politicians actually spoke the truth 100% of the time. Sure, and people also lie to buy time. Yeah. Well, look at uh, Bill Clinton. Mm -hmm. yeah. I had no, absolutely had no. no sex with that woman. True. Meanwhile, he's twisted the word sex yeah. such that it jettisoned the idea of a blowjob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't count. Oh, that doesn't count. <laughs> no, but it does buy you time and in the sense of even if you commit something in varying levels of seriousness, if you then apologize for it later, yeah. somehow you're redeemed. Right. Time does soften things. Even the worst things we've acknowledged in a current moment don't seem quite as bad weeks, months, years later. Well, we do forgive somewhat sure. those who in some way, shape or form are contrite about their lies mm -hmm. and admit to them. We have a soft spot for that. Well, because we experience that ourselves. Yeah. Unless you see yourself superior or infallible, you have to acknowledge that some of the things you're critical of or that you observe around you, you're of the same ilk in many ways, in different forms. Well, yeah. George Washington cutting down the cherry tree and admitting I told a lie. It makes him a very admirable character in the history of of American politicians. Mm -hmm. And we admire that. We feel that's an ideal that we should try to live up to. But it's difficult in this world of ours that almost expects us to lie and deceive, whether it's within the corporate world, yep. the political world, the world of social media. Mm -hmm. you know, that's a big one there where deception and lies and misinformation is disseminated rapidly in a blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. And uh, people have, in that world, have turned to third-party fact-checkers like Snopes, Snopes. Yeah. which is the oldest and largest online fact-checker. They've been around since 1994, if you can yeah. believe it. 24 years. 24 years, started yeah. up by Dave Mickelson. Mm -hmm. And so we resort to that now because we don't have an instinctive understanding of how to judge whether something is true. Right. But even that, though, for example, Snopes, how do we determine that Snopes is the be-all and end-all authority on truth. Exactly. We collectively agree. Yeah. I could find my own company, Posner.com, mm -hmm. and it's a fact checker, and boy, it found a different result than Snopes. So now you've mm -hmm. got a whole faction over here that says this is the truth, and Snopes is wrong, and another faction say this is the truth, Posner.com is wrong. Mm -hmm. So where is the truth to be found now when we live in a world of it's your opinion. Yeah, but That's let's talk about that for a second. And while we're talking about this, tell me if you agree or disagree. Okay. We all have our beliefs for whatever reasons and under whatever conditions. But do you not think that many of us, not only many of us, but in, in many circumstances, we do not have enough information to back up our beliefs? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So if you go on that assumption, you now have a situation where a lot of the beliefs that are created are pure group or crowd momentum. Mm -hmm, sure. A lot of people will say things. They don't really understand why. They just know that everybody's saying that. Sure. Even Trump in his defense, and I'm not a Trump supporter, but yeah. this is what the other side will argue. Let's go back to the 1960s. A good example of that is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Our, Club Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole idea that somewhere along the line, somebody said, there's something going on here, and it looks like there's a message in this right. album. And you can see it in the cover. And you know what? 
Paul McCartney is dead. Play this cut backwards. And it says, Paul is dead. Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. It's there, buried in code mm-hmm. in this album. Right. Oh, my God, Paul McCartney is dead. Right. Now, if you had, for example, 100 people saying that, mm-hmm. how many of those 100 are simply saying it because other people have said it? Lots, lots. Exactly. Just a few years ago, someone came into the shop that I was working in and said, oh, my God, did you hear that the Queen had passed away? The mm-hmm. Queen died today. Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, oh, really? And it was a source that I trusted, a person who, there's no reason why they would lie to me, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they clearly heard it from someone else. Mm-hmm. And so it passed on to me, and the next phone call that I received, and I said, oh, by the way, Had you heard that the queen had died? Mm -hmm. Really? No. So, yes, out of 100 people, probably 99 of them have not checked anything, have just Mm -hmm. accepted it because we trust. You just said something that to me was very important. You said, I had no reason to not believe him. Exactly. And that extends to our entire social network. If enough people say something, it becomes... The truth. Well, how many times have you seen a Facebook entry where somebody has said something and there's a whole bunch of comments going, oh my God, yes, and really? And and five or six or seven comments down, suddenly someone comes in with, we checked this with Snopes and no, this is false. False. This is fake. But that's after seven, eight, nine comments of people and who knows what they've done on their feeds Mm -hmm. to spread that misinformation. I think it's important for us to pass on to our friends, our children, especially that kind of independent thought Mm -hmm. or to ask questions. Right. Yeah. Rudolf Steiner in the 1920s said, and I'm paraphrasing, Mm. do not believe and do not disbelieve. Simply be open and do your research, explore, go into it, use your intuition, use your intellect, and you find out what the truth is. Do not believe, do not disbelieve. Right. Now, if everybody took that approach, you would also eliminate a lot of the polarization that exists in our society today. We shut down on our own viewpoint. Yeah. And because we are given or we learn a particular worldview, Mm -hmm. which is a belief system, Yes. Right? And that's kind of locked into us, and it provides a filter through which we examine the world we live in. Mm -hmm. But how difficult is it to take that filter away, to take away your upbringing, what your culture says you should think and feel, and to just, as an individual spirit, look at something, experience it directly, Mm -hmm. and take your results from that, and not just accept any belief. And more importantly for me, anyway is to really allow the information from others, even people that you don't agree with, allow that information to come in. Allow yourself to experience something that may be even unpleasant for you. And do what with it? Think about it. Reflect on it. Someone makes a point. Try to get past the fact that this individual looks like this or thinks like this and represents this. Yeah, yeah. The tendency, though, when you do that in any way, shape, or form is to attempt to come to a conclusion about something, to come to a judgment. There's a great quote here from uh, Denzel Washington, Mm. pulled off the internet, and he said, if you don't read the paper, you're uninformed. If you do read the paper, you're misinformed. Great quote. (laughs) So what's to say that any of your sources that you're using in your own research here is valid, is real? 
how can you trust what's coming from the outside world anymore, given the amount of misinformation and lying and deception that goes on out there on a day-to-day basis? Mm-hmm. Well, and advertising plays on that too. Advertising Absolutely is does. saying to you, your life is going to be so much better with this product. Mm-hmm. People are going to love you mm-hmm. if you drive that Chevy. Right. You're going to get more dates if you use Viagra, you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so advertising and media lie regularly to people to make them feel like their life is going to be more empowered or mm-hmm. what have you. When an individual lies yeah. in some form, they're weighing all the options mm-hmm. and the consequences. Yeah. Oh, sure. And I think that translates into politics, economics. Yeah. Worst case scenario, which is worse, an out-and-out lie or a half-truth and then I have to deal with this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, people in power, they sometimes manipulate things in order to serve their own ends. Yeah, let's go back to uh, the 1930s and uh, good old Adolf. He brought in Goebbels, who was a master propagandist. Hitler, in his book Mein Kampf, outlined everything he was going to be doing in the 1930s in his rise to power. It was all there, including the power of propaganda to sway populations. And he used that thoroughly. And we should add that he wrote that book after he'd been a corporal in the First World War. That's right. Yeah. So spin doctoring and propaganda has been around for a long, long time. It's not that new, Mm -hmm. ultimately. Tie that into War of the Worlds. Yeah, because War of the Worlds was broadcast in October of 1938. Right. Very interesting phenomenon. It was maybe the most popular program in the history, or the most famous program in the history of radio, because of the furor that resulted during and after the broadcast. Which people are going to hear on BoxBox. Yeah, we'll give them a little sample of that. BoxBox. So, what's your story? What is the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true anymore. So whatever responsibility you all have to be, to tell the truth, not just to be first, but to tell the truth. We live in a society now where it's just first. Who cares? Get it out there. We don't care who it hurts. We don't care who we destroy it. We don't care if it's true. Just say it. Sell it. Wait a minute. Something's happening. Pump shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? There's a jet of flame springing from that mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Lord, they're turning into flames. Now the whole field's caught up by the woods, the fires, the, the gas tanks, tanks of the automobiles spreading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently, there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. Box, box. Basically, Orson Welles decided to recreate H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, where it talks about a Martian invasion of the planet, Mm -hmm. and to set it in America. Right. And he put this thing on. Renamed the cities. Renamed the cities. Grover's Mill, New Jersey was where he set this story in. And people tuned in on the radios. They only had radio in the 1930s Mm -hmm. and trusted the source 
because that's yep. where they got their news bulletins about what was happening in Europe with Hitler on the mm -hmm. rise, etc. And so they took these bulletins seriously. So here's Orson Welles starting a program of music and culture and interrupting the program with these bulletins coming from Grover's Mills, New Jersey, about this thing, these landings, the invading this, aliens. this alien, like yeah. what is going on here? And, and people tuned into this and they thought it was real. Yeah. There were traffic jams in Grover's Mills. Apparently the numbers were somewhere around, I don't know how they authenticated this, but they estimate that about a million people actually thought this was really happening. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of people yeah. to get upset. It's an example of the power of art to get into the psyche. And he made it such that it sounded totally real. Yeah. He was asked by reporters... Were you aware of the terror such a broadcast would stir up? And he says, definitely not. The technique I used was not original with me. It was not even new. I anticipated nothing unusual. And then they ask him, should you have toned down the language of the drama? Well, says, no, you don't play murder in soft words. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, yeah, it caused an incredible furor. So here's an example of lying in aid of art mm -hmm. that caused real panic in the real world of the 1930s America. But also examine the times. Yeah. There was a preponderance of negative news in those days. Post-depression, yes. rise of Germany. Yep. Uh, there were a lot of things that were occurring. And the world actually was still kind of recovering in many ways from worldwide depression, not just depression in the U.S. Yes, that's right. Which one can parallel in some ways to what's happening today. And here's an interesting fact, too. Uh, Hitler referenced the War of the Worlds, mm -hmm, shortly did. afterwards, That's right. saying that it was an example of the corrupt condition and decadent state of affairs in democracy. Right. So the weakness of the American people, the gullibility of the American people showed how weak they are. And yet his own people were gullible to his fascist ideas. Right. He's finding an opportunity to bring down democracy and posing up his fascism. Yeah, and some people would say that that is a direct echo of what's happening today yes. in a slightly more softened version, mm -hmm. that Trump and company and Ford and company are doing the same thing. They're dismantling age-old institutions. Attempting to dismantle. Yeah, trying to dismantle mm -hmm. during their terms these institutions and bringing in a kind of fascistic sensibility, i.e. Kellyanne Conway, talking about this notion of alternative facts. Oh, what he said was just an alternative fact, as if we're supposed to accept that <laughs> there's facts, there are other facts that are alternative facts that are also true, that could be in direct contradiction to these facts that are true, alternative facts. And you have people like Rudy Giuliani, announcing the truth is not the truth. The truth is not the truth. Uh, it just makes me feel like that in some ways, humanity is at a crossroads at this point in terms of how we view the world, how we understand the truth of the world. Where do we see truth? Where do we seek truth? And how do we know when we found it? Yeah. How do we know what we know? Mm-hmm. This question continues to haunt philosophers through history. The whole point of philosophy is to understand how the world works. Mm. And there's a, a tributary of philosophy called epistemology. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of epistemology was to study the nature of knowledge, to answer the question, how do we know what we know? And how do we justify our belief systems 
etc. Since we've been grunting in caves, we've been wondering how we know, how we are awake to what we know. I think it's come to a head now where we all have to become philosophers of knowledge. Well, there's also a very practical side to that. Our brains yeah. can only store so much. We only deal with so much currently. For example, if you examine the building of ancient structures, cathedrals, yeah. in many cases, they took centuries to finish, mm -hmm. always being added to, restored, changed, modified, right? Yeah. That involved dozens and dozens of engineers, designers, various capacities in craftsmanship, etc. Everybody was reliant on other people to mm. do that. Yeah. No individual could even conceive or even begin the process of seeing that project from beginning to end. Correct. So if you understand that kind of thinking, you come to the realization that we are very limited as individual units in terms of what we can absorb and what we can deal with. Mm -hmm. It's very important for us to keep humble, I think, mm -hmm. about our knowledge. Yeah. And the humility will allow us to keep learning, to keep accepting, to be less judgmental, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which in turn creates a whole different society. And when you have a different society, you've got different institutions and politicians that reflect that society. As usual, you start from the individual changing. <laughs> yeah, that's my and, thing, and isn't moving it? <laughs> from the ground up. That's okay. Totally legitimate. We do have to do that as individuals. Each of us has that challenge of figuring out how to be discerning of truth. I remain optimistic. And open and optimistic. Mm -hmm. And that's the best we can hope for right now. Mm -hmm. Respond to us. Don't lie to us. Tell us the truth. We're big boys here. What you like, what you don't like. Suggestions as to things we can talk about. You folks in Virginia. Washington, across the seas in Sweden, Germany, yes. Italy, and Monte France. Montevideo. We believe in you. All right. Ciao, Harry. Ciao. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Smile.